Jackson goes through, makes a wonderful break. He's tackled 15 metres from the line. Backs there. Wilkinson will drop for goal. There's offside surely against the No, Martin Johnson has it. He drives. There's 35 seconds to go. This is the one. It's coming back for Johnny Wilkinson. He drops for World Cup glory. It's over. He's done it. Johnny Wilkinson is England's hero yet again. And there's no time for Australia to come back. England have just won the World Cup. Wow, what a start to the S Word podcast. I'm Rory Hanna. And my name is Archie Wilson. So, mate, where are you for that famous drop goal from Johnny Wilkinson in 2003? So actually, that, that little snippet of sound or audio uh, actually brings back a lot of memories for me. I was at a, at a friend's house with my f- whole family and family friends. And we watched the whole game. The TV signal was absolutely perfect until the last 30 seconds. As soon as the ball got passed back to Johnny, the TVs just went grey. Nothing. We could see nothing. However, we could hear it. And so that was the first time, well, yeah, heard us win the World Cup. Um, and it's actually not until very recently that I've actually seen the, the live drop kick. What a kick it was. What a kick it was. On this week's podcast, we have Sam Arnold, an Ireland international rugby player. Sam has gone from strength to strength since moving to Munster in 2018, earning his first senior call-up in October to then making his debut against the US on the 24th of November. So Sam, we like during these times of Corona, we, we normally ask our athletes who come on just a basic, simple first question. What, what are you doing during the quarantine to keep yourself busy? And do you get set training coaches or do you ever get sent material from your coaches to work on during this time? How does it work? Uh, yeah, so we still get kind of, we, we'll get sent a weekly schedule of uh, the running sessions we're supposed to do and our gym sessions. We still have to get them them done. There'll be kind of four running sessions a week and four gym sessions. Last week, we actually did testing. So a few lads actually had to do a one-kilometre kind of fitness test on their own. And then just kind of the free time we have, I've just sort of been doing a bit of gardening at home and messing around with the dog and, and stuff like that. And how have you found it yourself? Are you, is it is it fine, getting a little bit boring, or like um, you're just kind of just getting on with it? Uh, it sounds a bit weird, mate. I'm actually really enjoying it. Uh, <laughs> kind of... <laughs> It's nice to kind of take a step back from everything and kind of get a bit of perspective and uh, and look at things a different way. Um, I've actually have a bit of time to spend at home, kind of with my girlfriend and stuff like that. And uh, but a sports career is really good, but it's pretty kind of indulgent and, and and it takes a lot of kind of energy and stuff like that. Nice. So it's just a bit of time just to take your mind slightly off the kind of intense season that is. And but what's what are your hopes? Obviously, you're hoping for the. I assume you're hoping for the season to recommence as soon as possible are you, are you hopeful of this um, or do you think it might be best to start a brand new season so there's a bit of hope at the minute that we'll head back to training kind of uh, mid-may and we'll do kind of a, a four to six week pre-season and they'll try and get the season running again in the summer but um, if I'm being completely honest I can't really see that happening just the way this kind of this virus is heading at the minute and I'll I'd be very surprised if there's any rugby played again until kind of September just with kind of uh, people being a bit fearful of going to games with attendances and obviously the spread risk and stuff like that. And all your teammates, are, there, are you in continuous contact with them? Are you talking? Do they feel the same or how, how are they all? Uh, yeah, so every kind of Monday we, there's a, we're split into kind of mini groups and we'll do kind of skill sessions and we 
we do it on kind of like a FaceTime app and we can all see each other. We do our skill sessions like that and we just have a bit of fun and have a, have a chat and have the crack and stuff like that and do little kind of skill competitions and stuff like that. So that's been the extent of kind of my communication with the lads. Other than that, it's just been in and around the house. Perfect. And so you started your rugby career back in England and obviously since now you're, you're now playing for Munster. So can you talk a little bit about the process of as when you were growing up, were you looking to play for, were you playing academies within England or was Ireland always kind of an option and how have you found it moving over to Ireland? Um, so I started off with the, it would have been the, the Harlequin School of Rugby and I would have been involved with them from sort of the age of 11, kind of 12 up to 18. Once I got to 18, I had kind of that decision to to stay with Harlequins and kind of pursue that route or or move over to Ulster and try and play for Ireland. Um, my dad would be kind of a very traditional uh, English family, like my granddad uh, served in the, the British Army and stuff like that. And then my mum's side of the family would be very kind of traditional Irish. So it was always very split for me. The kind of the defining factor in the decision was that I spent more time with my mum kind of growing up. And for that reason... She had been doing all the driving to training and spending the most time with me kind of trying to develop that rugby kind of aspect to become a career. So from then on, I then kind of, it became a bit of a purpose for me and I decided that I wanted to play try and play for Ireland and, and fulfil that route. Nice. And, and what was your rugby like at school? Uh, yeah, it was good. I played two years um, in, my, in my sixth form years at Cranley. We didn't have an unbelievable team. We had a good team. and. Um, They've obviously gone from from strength to strength now, and they'd actually be one of the best teams around at the minute. They win a lot of sevens, kind of the Roslyn Park sevens tournaments and big sevens tournaments. So, Andy Houston there's doing a fantastic job, and um, there's lots of lads getting into the Harlequins Academy from there as well. And we have a we have a friend in a good friend in common called Luke Brook. Um, he keeps telling me stories back in the day of how he used to you know rule the pitch. And do, do you agree with that? Yeah, Ricky's a bit of a beast, isn't he? I'm sure you could. Uh, <laughs> You know him just as well as me. You have to. We'll speak to him more about it. We'll speak to him more about it. So, Sam, so since moving over to Ireland, you uh, you relatively quickly um, cooled up on, into the Ireland under 20s team. How did you find that, and those emotions initially when you were first playing on the international scene? Surely it must have been a quite surreal feeling to um, put on the international jersey. Yeah, it's nice, mate. It's nice to uh, kind of get that recognition. Um, a lot of the way through the age group stuff in England, I never really got the kind of accolades. So I never played England 16s, I never played England 18s. I played Ireland under 18 clubs and then I played Ireland under 20s. So you, that under 20s when you're younger is like a big kind of thing. There's actually a lot of press and a lot of media out of it. And a lot of the times the guys that kind of have them good, real good under 20 uh, World Cups... Uh, actually kickstarts a career for them. So um, pulling on the jersey for the first time was, was awesome. And um, man, I absolutely love my time playing playing for the under-20s, yeah. And so you, early in your career, you used to play for Ulster and then you moved to Munster, the, the rivals. What what was this like? Did you get grief from the fans? Or, you know, can you explain what it was like? Not really, man. I think the rugby environment would be pretty different to kind of football. Um, yeah, you can't imagine, you know, someone moving from Chelsea to Tottenham kind of thing. But so I'm guessing it wasn't like that, really. No, no, no. It wouldn't be like that. Now, Pe- people know that kind of rugby's a very short game and it can end to- in tomorrow. And uh, you know, it's okay for uh, for some clubs to kind of end their 
end certain players' careers at a click of a finger. But then when a when a player does what what what's best for him, it's kind of frowned upon and taboo. And I think that's starting to change, and it definitely has changed in rugby. Um, you see a lot of lads kind of moving around now, and they're doing what's best for them and their career. Look at Ian Madigan now. Obviously, Leinster man heading back to Ulster, John Cooney. Yeah. Um, the Connacht, Leinster and Ulster and, and it definitely is changing boys are starting to realise that they are kind of just, just rugby clubs um, and you can be from somewhere and be proud of it but not have to kind of represent them at rugby level if it's not in your, your best interest yeah definitely so you've got to basically make the right decision for you in terms of your rugby progress And but it, it obviously seemed evident that your move to uh, Munster was the right move because you then got called up to the um, you know the the full time Joe Smith's forty two man Ireland squad for the autumn internationals in um, in twenty eighteen, I mean you spoke about how honoured you were to be called up for and play for the under twenty Ireland's, but what was it like to port off the bench against the USA to make your make your first cap for the for the full team? Yeah, man, it was good. That kind of that that season sort of unravelled very kind of quickly for me and surprised me at the spot the start of that season I'd have just been playing kind of something called All Island League which yeah. might be similar enough to kind of like nat one, that that kind of level back home. Um, and then four weeks later, I was playing for Munster. Um, another few weeks later, I was then starting in the Champions Cup. Following that, I was then obviously invited to train with the lads and called up to the Six Nations squad for the last two games. And that all sort of happened in four or five months, which was kind of pretty surreal. And it, it was nice because that was the year the lads did the Grand, the grand Slam. So although I didn't kind of feature in game, I'm still pretty pretty pr- proud to say that I played some some sort of part in it at a young age, and um, I, I'm, I was delighted. Yeah, of course, of course, and so you should be. So we actually had an article in the other day about how professionals deal with nerves and the so-called yips. We were just wondering for you know for your first international game, how how you deal with the nerves of such a huge and important game. Mate, it's, there's no kind of uh, hidden hidden formula for it. Like, um, I use the kind of Pro 14 and, and Europe, for example. Like, I've, I've played in enough Pro 14 games and kind of European games to know that I'm kind of good enough at that level and you kind of get that confidence. Sure, um, you the crowd, I guess. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then, the, the obviously, the day before my first international game, it's that kind of fear of the unknown and you actually don't really know what to what to expect um so that that definitely would have been nerve-wracking for that but in terms of dealing with nerves mate it, it's not there's no hidden formula it's something that just comes with time and comes with experience and the more games you get under your belt the easier it gets and and for our followers who, who won't have had the experience what what is it like playing with such a big crowd and everyone you know all the eyes on you yeah mate it's awesome it is awesome and that's something that when you first get a taste of it, it is very nerve-wracking. I think nowadays what's good for young players is, uh, like I said, there is the Under-20 World Cup. Like, that's kind of, that kind of prepares lads for the, obviously, the magnitude of the game. You know, that's kind of, that's on TV worldwide and there's people there watching games, thousands of people. So that sort of prepares young players for that. But in terms of kind of the big European nights, when there's, you know, 26,000 people for Munster at home, like, obviously... It is nerve-wracking, but it, it's special as well. And you have to enjoy it, mate, because it can end so quickly as well. Yeah, of course. And so, we've obviously, you've, you've been captain, you've been training with the Ireland squad, and um, you'll be looking short-term, but also long-term in, for the future Six Nations and potentially even the World Cup in 2023 in France, I assume. 
but obviously you, you as a centre, there's some like seriously strong competition uh, within the centre position with Gary Ringrose, Robbie Henshaw, Bandiaki, Chris Farrell, Will Addison, and yourself, of course, slotting into that as well. Like, like how do you get on with these other centres? Is it very competitive, or um, do you kind of just um, push each other on to try and be the best you can be, and hopefully, the, and then the best man gets selected? Yeah, mate, it's it is obviously tough, and it can be very frustrating as well. I think kind of in Ireland. There is just, like you said, there's a lot of very, very good centres. And yeah. you can't fit them all into the puzzle. So, uh, thankfully for me, I'm still a few years younger than a lot of them guys, kind of three, four, some, uh, maybe a bit more younger than a few of them guys. So, for me, it's kind of playing so well that Andy Farrell kind of has to take notice and he doesn't have a, he doesn't, he can't have a decision, you know, it's me because I'm playing the best and I'm playing better than everyone. So, you sort of have to bang the door down. But it is yep. definitely, definitely frustrating but that's professional sport mate and yeah. and that's part of the battle as well yeah exactly there's always going to be a competition but it just it just particularly seems that the centers in ireland are very strong at the moment and obviously there's there's been a, a switch in head coach from joe schmidt to andy farrell has andy farrell been in contact with you at all and how do you feel like your game suits or you get your personality wise you get them well with Andy Farrell compared to Joe Smith um, how's that transition been from you and from the Ireland community as a whole uh, I worked under Andy when I worked under Joe as well so I kind of knew him from there and yeah of course yeah relationship with him there in terms of feedback I've chatted to him a good bit recently and uh, it's just a matter of, of me for to get in a run of games together getting more consistency and um, obviously that running form will come. So that for me is the, the main priority. And so now, now looking, looking forward, hopefully touch wood, this coronavirus, you know, it blows over and we get to finish the six nations. If Ireland managed to get their two final games through and get full points, then they win the six nations. Do you, do you see this happening or who do you see winning it? Mate, I think it's kind of, it's one of them ones that's impossible to call. I think, Pretty much everyone in the Six Nations, maybe other than I want to say Italy, is probably capable of beating each other on their day. So um, for me to call here and kind of put my penny in one pot, I'd uh, I, I I couldn't really do it because I'd be lying if I said a no. Okay, and just overall throughout your career, I mean, it's fair to say you've had a few injuries. Um, how crucial is it for players to stay fit and stay healthy throughout their career, especially as you've mentioned? Rugby is such a short career and, you know, you've really got to be fit for all of it. Yeah, mate, it definitely is important, but I think kind of, I think a lot of players spend actually a very similar amount of time injured. Like I know people will say, oh, this fella, did, this fella had a lot of injuries and he didn't fulfil his potential because of that and stuff like that. But to me, that's, that's completely untrue. You know, that's kind of an excuse. If a fella's good enough and he... Obviously, he hasn't been retired from injury. He will eventually fulfil his potential regardless. You know, he, he, you're either good enough or you're not good enough. And if you have an injury that's holding you back that bad, then you would retire anyway. Yep. You look at Joey. You look at the injuries Joey's had in the last kind of 12 months. He's barely played in the last 12 months, but he still has 20 caps for Ireland. So, you know, if you're good enough, you're going to get yourself back there. David Pocock has uh, two, two, three ACLs. I think he did. Bounce back, still one of the best sevens in the world. So, if you're good enough, you're going to get yourself there eventually. Perfect, mate. Well, that that shows. I think that shows the sign of a a proper sportsman. Well. Everyone's got to go through adversity, don't they, to actually um, make it to the top. It's not all going to be plain sailing. But yeah, I think that's been you've given us a great overview of how you kind of got into rugby, about your club career, your 
your international career and also your hopefully your aspirations for more international caps in the coming years. What would you say your aims are for the next two, three, four, five years? Or is it just to stay with Munster and just trying to get as many caps for Ireland, or could you see your uh, your club game moving elsewhere, or how much would you want to stay in Munster? Uh, for me, long term, mate, the the priority is getting myself back into the national team. Yeah. I think I'm good enough to be back in there um, and I think I'm good enough to kind of be competing. So it's just about getting that run of games and getting that form and um, and then going from there. Uh, the year I had my best season, I had 17 starts that year and that's when I got myself back, got myself into the Irish squad and uh, that was the best season I've had. So I know kind of the formula for it. Um, it's just about getting there and um, and rediscovering that form, I guess. That's, 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 that's all sounds great. Thanks for coming on um, the S word for um, our podcast. Um, you've given us a great little insight. Thanks for your time. And all the best for your career. And, you know, we hope to see you back in the, back in the squad. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, Thanks, mate. Thank Dan. you very much. So this part of the podcast, we're going to look back at some of the articles published on the S word website, both the members articles, but also some of the S athletes. One of the highlights of the S athletes was an interview with England international cricketer Tom Banton. I mean, it was fascinating to get an insight from a current superstar, but also he's only going to get better, isn't he, Rory? I agree. I agree. Look, he's had a great he had a great season last year. was on was on the England team, and he still is. And it's fascinating to see with if this World Cup goes ahead, how he performs. You know, in the limelight, spotlights on him. He's got a reputation now. Uh, whether he can perform. A lot of people haven't, but let's see. He said he's, he's got a very different attitude over the last uh, couple of months since work since working with Hashim Amla, who is now attitude is basically he doesn't he doesn't care if he gets that first ball or drops a catch. He's just going to go out and try and enjoy himself. So I know he considers himself an op- opening batsman on club cricket, but I think if he's going to squeeze into that very strong England lineup for the uh, T20 World Cup in Australia in October. I think most people are saying that he'll probably be number five or six. So destructive in the middle overs um, as well as the opening overs. It was interesting to read in the article that going on to his attitude, how he does, you know, has a laissez-faire attitude. He, whilst facing down in New Zealand, facing Lockie Ferguson, known for a quick, intimidating fast bowler, um, how he was like, you know what, I am scared, I am nervous, but I don't have time for that. I'm just going to go out there and enjoy it. You know, cricket is very much, you have to perform spotlights on you, especially when batting. And he's like, he said, yeah, look, if I want to perform at my best, I've got to be relaxed and, nerv- and not nervous. So it's a good way to go out, you know, just knowing freely and enjoying it, I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe you could learn a thing or two from Tom Banton's attitude from your, 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 your cricket playing days and your batting, because you always kind of looked a little bit intimidated by the fastball, especially when someone like Charlie Person was just storming down at you. You always kind of, you always backed away against him. Would you, would you change your batting technique after seeing um, the interview with Tom Banton? Well, you know, I, I actually do see a lot of similarities, to be honest. I think the spotlight was very much on me. Similarities um, in terms of you're both on the field. You're, you're, you're a number eight batsman and bowled a little bit. Look, Archie, this is a co-host podcast. If you just want to speak the whole time, that's fine. Um, <laughs> you asked me a question. Can I answer? Yes, of course. So, yes, I mean, it's hard when, you know, you're coming in at a, a number, whatever it may be, and, you know, the team in front of you have collapsed again. So, I mean, once again, the weight is on Hannah's shoulders and the spotlight's on him. And most of the time, not all the time, he performs. 
<laughs> okay, well, I think I think yeah, I think you've definitely, without admitting it, you probably definitely learned a thing about that attitude. So yeah, coronavirus always had a massive effect on cricket, and uh, there are rumours at the moment that the new inaugural 100 competition is going to be postponed um, another year to 2021. But they're fingers crossed they're going to try and squeeze in the the T20 blast. So which would could be which would be good training and practice for Tom and his T20 colleagues before the World Cup in October in Australia, if that goes ahead. And for all our listeners out there, um, this isn't an advert, but just to let you guys know that one of the best deals we think around town is the Surrey Under 25 T20 and 100 membership. It's £69 and you get to go to every T20 and 100 game. You get to go into the pavilion where it's cheaper pints. Um, Yeah, definitely worth looking into if you're a big cricket fan. As I said, not an advert for Surrey. 69 quid. I mean, two... Two tickets for two T20 Blast matches, that's 60 quid in total. So you make your money back just after two you, matches. You probably so, save your money back on the discounted pints in the Pavilion, Wilson, don't you? It's always nice to have, a, I think, the, the £4 pints, which is just an absolute, just like like candy for a, for an outgrown man, isn't it? Especially when you drink them like water. <laughs> right, moving on. Let's move on to um, another great article from an S athlete, um, which is Ollie Wynn Griffith, who was uh, training to be in the GB rowing team um, this summer. But obviously, the Tokyo Olympics was postponed to next year. Um, how brutal was it, Roy, that he was selected for the GB rowing team only for a couple of days later to find out that the, the Olympics was postponed and he's going to have to go through the whole training and selection process again? I, I think it's brutal. I think actually Oli is bringing out another article about the training process and the training schedule that he went through, which will give our readers a lot more insight into what he actually underwent in order to achieve his goal. But it must be gutting for any, any sportsman. Um, you give your life and soul to become the best in the world or the best in the country at your specific sport. From such a young and early age, you, you, know, you dedicate every, all your time to it very much missing out on other things, whether it be social or academic or whatever it may be. But yeah, it must, it must just change, change your life, really. Yeah, he said it's been a decade in the making for him to go to the Olympics. And he even mentioned specific, like the countdown days in his article. But these, for these rowers and aspiring Olympians, the Olympics is obviously the absolute pinnacle of their career. So for this to be delayed by a year you know affects their training but mentally it must be incredibly tough so so we wish ollie the best of luck in adapting to training for the 2021 edition of the olympic games but yeah and a fascinating insight on how brutal rowing is have you ever had a sporting incident where you you know you've trained so hard and for for a long time and then you finally get get it and you just don't deliver on on your performance or whatever it may be Nope, never trained too hard back in the day. All came naturally to me, Roy. You never really get get to the pinnacle, do you? <laughs> Is that what you're trying to say to our listeners? No, 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 no just no, I just never had. Sadly, I was never in a position to um to be training for the Olympics. Um, so I can't. Don't know what it feels like for Roy, but um, I'm sure it will be absolutely brutal. So um, I, yeah, I can. I don't think I'll be able to deal with that setback. Um, I definitely know you wouldn't be able to. So moving on to a couple of members' articles, we had a great little discussion amongst the. The Bracken brothers. I mean, last time it was the Hanbury brothers, both producing two cricket articles in the day. And this time we had a Charlie Bracken's article in defence of Mr. Ozil. And then a couple of days later, his younger brother George came back with a, with a rebuttal of, um, of Charlie's article and um, actually criticising Mr. Ozil. I mean, it was great to get some discussion amongst the brothers and amongst just the S-word community, wasn't it, Roy? 
It really was, and it's fully encouraged. Uh, whether it be a full article or a comment under the article, we fully encourage any rebuttal that anyone has to any of the articles that our members post. And to, you know, if any questions for the S athletes, then please ask away. Yeah, again, thanks for those two submissions from the Brackens and also the other the other post submitted this week. And we can be sure to guarantee that we have plenty of articles lined up over the coming days from more professional athletes as well as more um, lovely articles from you lot um, so please keep them coming send us a message on social media let us know you're writing them and um, we look forward to reading them great well thank you guys for listening and till next time double 16 69 we need that one in this way He's had a dart to win his 16th match play. Peter Wright needs a 57. Since he first lifted his title.